Welcome to Here We Are, the podcast where we celebrate the beauty of being a nerd by learning about nerdy things from fellow nerds. I'm your host, Joy Blue. Okay, we gotta talk about this. I didn't know that today's guest's nerd existed until just a few weeks ago. And now that I know, I have a new fascination and respect for not only aquaculture, which was a word I learned from this podcast, but virology. Today, we are going to take a virtual tour of science at work. Put on your imaginary lab coat and let's get to work. So without further ado, here's Melissa White to talk with us all about fish virology. Hello, I'm Melissa White. I live in Oregon and I'm a scientist and I work with fish viruses. That is amazing. So Shannon, who was on the podcast two weeks ago, introduced Melissa and I and said, oh, you need to talk to my friend Melissa. She does fish viruses. And I was like, excuse me, what? Yep. I need to know everything. Talking about fish viruses. What's the technical? Is it like fish virology? So my position is a fish virologist slash fish health specialist. Okay. How does one get started in fish virology? Yeah, I've found myself in a unique little corner of science. I started with a microbiology degree, and then I decided I wanted to go to grad school, got a cellular molecular biology degree in the Midwest, so Kansas City area. Yeah. And then I worked with yeast for about four years. Yeah, I worked worked with with yeast. And then I decided this is fine, but it's not that exciting to me anymore. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. You worked with yeast. Yes. What does that mean? We were doing a lot of research and like the life cycle of yeast and what causes it like sporulate. And what it really meant was I was spending a lot of hours in a dark room with a microscope and a little clicker counting yeast spores wow yeah okay and then moving on you said this is cool but yeah (laughs) yeah so then I decided I wanted to do something that could combine like outdoors and lab work yeah and I started looking online at jobs and I thought oh here's a cool job I really don't know anything about fish but I'm certain that all the lab work and lab experience like I'm qualified for it and it's out in Oregon, and I had just visited Washington, and yeah. I'm like, love it out there. I love the uh-huh. best. And so I applied and magically got it. I mean, wow. it all just really lined up. Okay, how many years have you been a fish virologist now? I've been a fish virologist for about seven years. Okay. And then four years previous to that, I was still in the fish health lab as a microbiologist. Okay. Wow. What have been some of your biggest learning curves? Like what has been surprising to you? Honestly, it was just working with these huge salmon that are 20, some of them 20, 30 pounds. That's a lot bigger than a tiny little little yeast and clickers. Yes. So when you work with a fish, what does that mean? So I'm in a diagnostic lab. And so I really study the fish pathogens and not the fish, but we will go out to If there's like a fish die off or something like that in nature, 
or at a hatchery. We have a lot of hatcheries out here in the Pacific Northwest to make sure that the populations of salmonids like don't go extinct. So we'll go out and try to diagnose, see what's going on. And if it's a parasite or bacteria, it's fairly easy to diagnose just with like a microscope, a regular Mm -hmm. light microscope. But viruses are so small, you can't just see them with a regular microscope. There are microscopes with higher resolution and more power that you can, but it's not, it's very expensive and it's not reasonable to use that as a screening mechanism. Interesting. So what we do if we suspect a virus or if we're just screening a population for virus is use a technique called cell culture. Okay. And so that is taking healthy cells that you are culturing in controlled conditions. So you're growing them up in a flask or a plate and you know what the healthy cells do. Yeah. And then you put the sample that you suspect has virus in it. Yeah. In with the cells and see what the effect is. If it doesn't do anything, there is no evidence of virus. And if it kills the cells or changes them in some way, then that's called a cytopathic effect. And you might have a virus there. It feels like you're a mad scientist. (laughs) Do you sometimes step back and laugh evilly when things work or don't work? Uh, No, but when I tell stories to friends, they do. So (laughs) (laughs) Appropriate. You're just over here casually like, yeah, whatever. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But in- the other day I said to my therapist that I had to go to a spawn and she couldn't stop laughing. She didn't know what to think of that. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> That's exactly what she said. I don't understand. <laughs> I have so many things popping into my head of what it could be. And it looks exactly. like fish dancing around a bonfire for some reason. And and in her mind, they had like little devil horns. So. Oh, okay, cool. Like spawn of the devil. Yeah, okay. Really just collecting some ovarian fluid and I'm making it worse. <laughs> Don't stop <keep> coloring. <laughs> you know, you collect ovarian fluid, you collect some tissues that virus are mostly present in if it's going to be. And then we take them back to the lab and it's a two week process to get the results most of the time. Wow. But yeah, in that case of spawning, we're just monitoring where viruses in the state. Yeah. And it goes into management decisions on like if we do detect a virus sure. in a small fit, like we don't want to transport that to a place that has never seen virus before yeah. or that particular strain of virus. Yeah, that makes total sense. Oh, yeah. Wow. I have a weird job. I love this for you. I just have so many questions and still the fish are dancing around the bonfire in my head. Yeah, that's a good image. <laughs> dancing on your tail. That's just, that, I don't know. Does that hurt? It's better than flopping on your side. I don't know. I don't know. Is there awe connected to your job? What keeps you in it? What keeps your attention? Yeah, I would say yes, definitely. So many times when I'm scanning through these samples, we don't see a ton of virus. Thank goodness. But then when you do, there is that moment of like, oh, like, this is new. This is exciting. What does this mean? And most of the time I have an idea based on what that cytopathic effect looks like, what the temperature was, like the history of the stock. 
of what the virus is, but there's definitely times where it could be a new virus and then we have to figure it out and it's a mystery. And I think that's what always drew me to science. Yeah. In the first place. I think, you know, in, in high school, I mean, I still like science, but I, you're presented of like, here's this complete picture yep. of everything. And then when I moved into college, then it's like, oh, wait, we really know very little. We know a lot more than we used to, but yeah. there's yeah. still just huge areas where yeah. it's unknown. So much room for wonder. Yeah. So what is the process from identifying a virus to figuring it out? That sounds like you're Nancy Drew in some ways of like trying to find the connections, trying to find what's familiar. Do you have software that says, oh, this looks like this? Or how do you start down the path of figuring that out? I think a lot of times, and when I'm training someone on this, it's like you kind of just have to look through tons and tons of cells to see what normal is because Mm. there's a whole range of what normally happens in these Mm. cell lines. And at a certain point, you'll know when something looks off. One of the viruses that I deal with the most, it is a rhabdovirus, which everyone's probably heard of rabies. That's a rhabdovirus. This is a fish rhabdovirus. And it causes the healthy cells to swell up and almost look like grapes. And then at a certain point, the virus will multiply inside the cells so much that it will then lice. And then the virions, the little virus particles, can go into all the neighboring cells. Hmm. And so it's a pretty drastic effect. Hmm. And with that particular virus, it's our most common. If I've seen it in an area, in a river, you know, every year for the last 10 years when it pops up, I'm not that surprised. We still have to confirm that, though. Right. And so at that point, I would take some of that sample and do a PCR, which probably in the days of COVID, a lot of people have heard of PCR testing. Yeah. It's basically a molecular test that targets a certain portion of the gene. Mm-hmm. And if you can amplify that in PCR, that confirms that, yes, what you thought was this virus is this virus because those the target is so specific that it won't amplify any other virus out there. Interesting. And then you have to take it a step further and sequence it, which we send that off. I don't do that myself. You can have many different variations of the same virus. Yeah. And they affect different fish differently. Sure. So it can become a little complicated if you have an outbreak, you know, what you do with those results and As a fish health specialist and fish virologist, we give recommendations. But then really above that, it's managers of the program that make the final decision on if those fish can be transported to this other area or what happens to them. Sure. So you find these viruses in the fish, but what is the life cycle of that virus? Where is it introduced? What are its effects down the line? What's that look like? Yeah, that's a good question. Some of that is not known. So I'll talk about this specific virus again. It's called IHNV, infectious hematopoietic necrosis virus. 
I mostly deal with salmonids and Chinook salmon. Mm-hmm. They're, as adults, they swim upriver back to where they were hatched mm-hmm. and somehow they can sense like whether it's the amino acid composition in the water, somehow they can get back to where they know that they're supposed to start the next generation. And then those fish die after they have laid their eggs or they age out. And some of those fish can bring back virus to the rivers and then they're constantly shedding it into the water. And so then small juvenile fish can pick that up. And so it's horizontal transfer. And then it's just, you know, those fish can swim out. Every fish, everything that they're passing on the way, there's a chance that they're going to pass it. And so that's really how it keeps going. This particular virus can stay viable for quite a while, like a month in the water as well. I think at 15 degrees Celsius, then it can just hang out. But there's studies that show that a leech can be a host for it as well. And so if you have other organisms that are potentially this host, then yeah, you're just never really going to get completely rid of it. So in the face of something that is gray and hairy and gnarly and you don't really know where it comes from or where does it go, your job is just monitoring? It's monitoring and making sure that as an organization, we don't add to what nature's doing already. So there's a part of me that's like, it's a virus, it should go away. But that's not what I'm hearing you say. Like, we're not introducing more things into the environment to mitigate the virus or countermeasures. You're purely just seeking to understand. Well, we're seeking to understand and control in the ways that we can control Mm. it because we're never going to get rid of it. I mean, that would be great if we could. Because especially for a fish virus, there's no treatment that we can give a group of fish after they come down with it. And even in a hatchery setting where we could, you know, give them a treatment for a bacterial infection or parasitic infection, there's just nothing you can do for a virus. So it's in wild fish. A lot of our situations that we've had are because fish get above a hatchery intake. Mm. and then they're shedding the virus into the water. And unfortunately, yeah. hatcheries are, I mean, you have a lot of fish, you know, high density. Perfect opportunity. Just, yeah, so they're just going to spread whatever they have around. And the best thing you can do is to avoid it to yep. begin with. But we're realistic and know that that's not always what's going to happen. It's being passed around right. in nature And one of our goals is like not to put it out there in higher number than we should. Yeah. Wow. From a layman's perspective, I'm sitting here listening to you being like, essentially, it is what it is. We're seeking to understand and do the best we can with what we have, which is a surprisingly balanced approach to so many things that I don't necessarily hear everywhere. Like, it doesn't sound like you're scrambling for control. It doesn't sound like, you know, you're taking action, which then has ripple effects down the line that, oh, we didn't know about that later. It's just so interesting to me to hear, like, for some reason, my mind is blown of like, 
y'all are literally seeking to understand, letting what happens happens, but you're observing, doing the best you can with what you have, trying to keep the information out there. It sounds like you're doing an amazing public service. Thank you. Is that accurate? I would say that's accurate with viruses that are known to us and that have been around for a while. Mm. I will say that like if new ones pop up in aquaculture, sometimes things can get a little chaotic then. Trying to figure out what this is to begin yeah. with. Trying to figure out, is it our responsibility to euthanize a stock so it doesn't spread if it's bad enough? There have been situations where people have had to make bad calls and hard calls. So it's not always as calm and collected as you made it seem. Sure. Most of the time it is, though. That's so interesting. But I, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there, that there are unique cases where yeah. everyone's like, OK, like this is a new virus. We don't yep. know what it's going to do. And again, it's like getting more data, yep. monitoring their different research groups. I'm not really in research anymore. Most of my job is purely diagnostic. But I mean, those groups are important to, to try to figure out, like, we have this new virus. We also have this, you know, historical, important group of fish. Yeah. How do we protect them? Yeah, that's so interesting. OK, so when you're gathering these cell cultures and you're mining your data, are you spending a lot of time outside? Are you catching fish? Are you a master angler? Are you a fly fisher? No. Are you? No. Okay. That was very glamorized not. in my head. Okay. <laughs> I am not. I would say during different times of the year, I have field days. And field days to me are like going to a facility. It's not like actually out in the field. Sometimes we do get rare opportunities where we're doing more wild fish work. But yeah, maybe three to four times okay. a month. Okay. We have other positions that during spawning season, they're out yep. four days a week, 10 to 12 hour days. I mean, it. there's a lot of collecting samples. Yeah. And cool. yeah, in a hatchery setting, the samples are basically like there for us to collect. We're not yep. out catching fish or yep. anything. The adults come back. They're held in ponds until they're ready to spawn. Yep. And then as they're taking the eggs, then... You know, we just yep. have a little Dixie cup. Yep. Collect some eggs. Who knew a Dixie cup could be a scientific tool? I know. And then we use a syringe, get some of the liquid yeah. out, That's and great. then put the eggs back in with the others. And then that only that little syringe comes back to the lab with us. So interesting. Time period wise, from mm -hmm. gathering the sample to your conclusions on that sample, typically how long is that? It's a two week minimum. Okay. Because once the sample gets onto cells, you know, some viruses are really quick and you can see the cytopathic effect in 24 hours mm -hmm. and some could take two weeks. Because we're dealing with the types of samples we are, sometimes there's contamination or toxicity yep. to the cells. Yep. And so at that point, you kind of, you have to filter out your sample or dilute it out and then start the process over again on new healthy fresh cells and so i would say two weeks minimum um sometimes it's three to four weeks depending yeah. on what we see now once i see what i think is ihnv yep that 
will happen at about day five or six, I can go ahead and do the molecular PCR testing right away. And so that takes a day. Sure. And then I can have a confirmation. Fascinating. But if something does not have evidence of virus, we let it go the full two weeks. And, you know, if something is a new novel virus, it might take a month to get to the bottom of it because we've never seen it before. And so you're talking to your colleagues in different areas, different agencies, like, hey, here's what I saw. Here's the temperature. Here's how long. Here's when cytopathic effects started. Do you have any ideas on what this thing? And yeah. What a a cool job. (laughs) What's one thing you want people to walk away from this podcast with? Viruses are cool and we should respect them. What does respect of a virus look like? We can make it about the pandemic, but like they have, I was going to say a mind of their own, but like that's not true. They're not doing one thing or another, like based on. Yeah, they don't have free will. Yeah, they don't have free will. But I think the respect is like they're going to do what they're going to do. And just because we want to believe it or not, it doesn't change anything. All organisms have a virus, right? Like some virus that's going to either harm or hurt them. And we also have tons of viruses that do nothing to us. And it's beneficial So in some ways. But respect the virus. Respect the virus. All right. This has been amazing. Thank you for sharing your nerd with us. Thank you. My mind is, I still just have so many questions and there's still fish dancing (laughs) around a bonfire, but it's fine. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you. So here we are. Never did I ever think that I would have the opportunity to know about or even interview a fish virologist. And now you all have met one too. Melissa, thank you for jumping on the call with me, for sharing the passion of your work, and for the timely reminder to respect viruses. I love how your nerd shows and comes to life. If you've got a flavor of nerd that you want me to celebrate, I would love to hear all about it. So go ahead and email me at herewearethepodcast at gmail.com and tell me everything. I love taking time to sit and make space for nerd to be celebrated. If you really like this podcast and want to financially support what I'm doing, head on over to patreon.com, search for Here We Are, the podcast, and sign up for one of the many beautifully written support tiers that I'm very proud of. So until next week, don't forget that curiosity wins and the world needs more nerds. Bye.